This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. If you want to understand the increasing depravity of our culture from the Lord's perspective, all you really need to do is read Romans 1. It's there that we learn that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Then God gives them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, Scripture says, adding later that such people are not just haters of God, but inventors of evil. Isn't that a perfect description of those wicked people who have created and are pushing pornography into every corner of our society and especially on our kids. Well, my next guest says that's all the more reason that Christian parents must face this struggle, not just as a social problem, but as a cosmic battle that we should face with godly boldness. So joining me now is Josh Glazer, who is the executive director of Regeneration, a Christ-centered ministry helping men, women, and families to learn about and live out God's holy and beautiful design for sexuality. And he is co-author with Daniel Weiss of the book we'll be talking about, Treading Bold through a pornographic world. Josh, it is great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm really happy to be with you. Thank you. You bet. Well, you make such a true statement at the beginning of your book. No one we know really wants to deal with porn, and I think that's right on the money. But you say it's become the preeminent worldview dominating our collective understanding of sexuality, gender, and relationships. What are you talking about there when you identify pornography as a worldview? Really, when you think about God and his design for sexuality, we, we are sexual creatures. But most people, even Christians, when we think about sex, we're primarily thinking that sex is kind of separated somehow from our spirituality, almost like it's this permitted thing that God allows because he needs you know, something for procreation. But that's not the way it was in the beginning. God designed sex. It's beautiful, wonderful, holy. It's glorious. It actually, in, in its right context, actually is meant to point us to him. But I think a lot of us have been have been drinking the Kool-Aid and have been um, infected with uh, the worldview, the, the cultural worldview, that really places pornography in the realm of it's all about pleasure. It's all just about self-empowerment, me feeling good, what I can get from somebody else. Yeah, that's right. And recreational. We, we know that that's kind of the modern view, that, that sex is just something you do for recreation in many instances. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with a relationship with somebody and certainly not a committed relationship with somebody in the bonds of marriage. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's another form of, of, of feeling something in our bodies. It, we, and, we just, and it really uses the human body for that that gratification rather than viewing the body as a, the actual a part of the person a part of the human being and so a person who's been impacted by pornography and, and that's part of my own story by the way i i wrestled for years with pornography that's part of how i got into this ministry but a person who's who's been indoctrinated by the worldview of pornography really looks at others through a grid of is this person an object that can help make my life better or are they an obstacle to my to my life 
obstacle to the happiness that I want to experience. Right. Where the Christian worldview is every single person we view is an image bearer of God. And wherever they are in their own journey of sanctification or following God or not, we, we look for God's image in people and can treat them with love because of that. That's right. Well, how widespread would you say the pornographic worldview is at this moment? Certainly, we've seen the cultural attitude toward pornography change considerably over the years. But how you know enslaved would you say America is to pornography? Yeah, right now, the latest research is that 33% of all Americans are viewing pornography at least monthly. That's 100 million people. I can't even wrap my brain around what 100 million people is like, but to give a little bit of context, it's, it's, the, it's the population of Canada times two and a half. I mean, that's how many people on a monthly basis are viewing pornography. And wow. for parents, the, the, the real challenging news for parents is that uh, when it comes to kids age 13 to 24 or young adults from 13 to 24, those numbers are, are pretty significant. 67% of males between 13 and 24 are looking at pornography at least monthly. 33% of females are. So those are our kids. That's our kids' generation for, for many of us if we're, if we're um, Gen X parents. So uh, we, we have to pay attention to it. And research has also shown that, that uh, fewer parents believe their kids have been exposed to pornography than actually the number of kids being exposed to pornography. So when we were writing the book, one of our um, one of my, my colleagues actually was having this conversation with one of her friends and said, you know, some, some people say that kids are exposed to pornography, eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old, 11. And her friend was like, no, that, that doesn't sound right. That, you know, my kid's eight. There's no way he, he, he would be looking at pornography or exposed to pornography at this age. But out of curiosity, that friend went home that, that same day by the grace of God uh, and picked up her, her son's iPad and sure enough found that there was a history of looking at porn. And the great news about that was that she caught it pretty early on and could, could address it. But it just goes to show we, we really want to get into this with our kids from an early age. We want to talk to them about God's design, his heart for sexuality, and really begin addressing some of the dangers and, tr- and challenges that pornography um, is putting in front of our kids. Well, right. Now, one of the things you address in the book is pornographic traps. And I think that that's a very important thing for parents to understand in particular, because you might feel assured my kid is not going on pornographic websites. Yes, but there are traps out there. How does the pornography industry lure kids into seeing pornography and then getting them addicted to it? Yeah, they're, they're actually really skilled at it, unfortunately, but it's it's a kind of clickbaiting technique they use. And we believe that part of the reason they do that is because they, they believe if they can get kids addicted, habituated to pornography young, then they have lifelong customers. So um, they'll, they'll, you know, type in typical searches that kids would or, or take websites for typical searches that kids might type into Google with common misspellings. And so, you know, it might be a Disney princess or a, a Marvel superhero and they'll misspell something just a little bit uh, and then put hardcore pornography there for kids to stumble, on, stumble upon. But Janet, the other, the other piece that's really important for parents to recognize is that, is that because our kids are sexual creatures too, and because they're growing, and, and because they're also growing up in a, in a pornographic culture, they're gonna have honest questions about sex. They're gonna have honest questions about themselves, their own bodies. They're gonna have questions about desire, what that means. They're gonna hear things in the playground or from their friends or things in sitcoms. And they're going to wonder, what do those things mean? And, and the go-to for questions these days is increasingly the Internet. Hmm. We don't want our kids taking their 
good questions. They're good God-given curiosity and asking the internet those questions. Right. We want our kids coming to us as much as we can. And to do that, we, we really need to be working on how, how askable are we? How mm-hmm. comfortable are we having these conversations about sex? Have we initiated with our kids? I mean, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I, I didn't want to talk to my kids, my, my parents about sex. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't feel safe to. I didn't want to be lectured to. Um, and if I had had the Internet, then I would have been typing my questions there. You know, the Internet is going to bring not just information, but pictures and ideas and videos. And, and those things, when our kids are exposed to them, will inform our kids' own, own view of themselves and the world around them in ways that are contrary to what God desires for them. Right. Not to mention the fact that for a lot of kids, they're going to school and getting sex education absent any worldview that is based on God's word and absent, in many cases, any morality. I mean, that's part of the problem, too. You know, you have Planned Parenthood involved in sex education in the public schools. That doesn't make it any better. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it, if there was ever a time where parents could lean on the culture around them to, to uphold something of what they were sharing so that, so that, you know, a sex talk would be sufficient if there was ever time. And I don't think there was ever really a time where just one sex talk was sufficient, but if there ever was, it is not today. Right. Today, what we, and what part of what we talk about in the book is how important it is for parents to be having regular, ongoing, safe conversations, two-way conversations, age-appropriate conversations with their kids. We, uh, again, growing up, and all parents do this. We talk to our kids about table manners. We talk to our kids about finance. We talk to our kids about sports. We talk to our kids about saying please and thank you. Um, we talk to our kids regularly on an ongoing basis about all sorts of things from the time they're little, little ones to well through their time in college. Why would we take something as important as God's design for sexuality, something as powerful as sex, something that can either be as, as a great blessing or an incredible curse that could derail somebody's life? Why would we try to boil that down to one conversation with our kids. We really want it to be a discipleship model that we walk with our kids for a long, long time. That's really good advice. There's more to talk about, though. We're going to pause. Josh Glazer with us. Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World is his book, and we'll return on Janet Mefford today after this. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. 
I was afraid, I was scared, I didn't know what to do. Everybody wanted me to have an abortion. The battle for life has heated up in our country, and standing for life is more difficult than ever. The Ministry of Preborn empowers young women in crisis to choose life. By letting an expectant mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see him on an ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. She did let me hear the heartbeat, and I was like, wow, it's something like living inside of me. It was a beautiful thing to hear. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today and help women with crisis pregnancies choose life? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. We really need your help during these summer months when donations tend to slow down. Please help right now if you can. 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at Janet Mefford. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. It's great to have you here and great to have with us Josh Glazer, Executive Director of Regeneration, which is a Christ-centered ministry helping men, women, and families learn about God's holy and beautiful design for sexuality. He and Daniel Weiss have put together a really important book we're talking about, Treading Boldly Through a Pornographic World. And you were making the point, Josh, I think you're absolutely right about this. For many parents, having the talk with your kids is awkward and you're not sure sometimes when to have that talk or what all it should entail, what is age appropriate, knowing at the same time that at school and on the internet, they're getting way more information than is age appropriate. How do you recommend Christian parents handle it? Is there a particular age at which you should begin to discuss sex with your kids, even before adolescence? This is kind of a hard decision to make for many parents. What do you recommend? It is, and we don't go into great into great detail about this in the book, but but we would say recognize that your kids, are, as sexual creatures, are going to be thinking about sexual things even when they're very little. That doesn't mean that it has that romantic or sexual charge that it does kind of during adolescence or post adolescence. But even as little little kids, three, four, five years old, kids are aware of their genitalia. They're aware that you know they're going to notice if they've got siblings that there's differences between them. Right. And so even at that young age, we want to begin talking to our kids about, yep, that's a penis, that's a vagina. Am I allowed to say that on your show? <laughs> I don't even know. Um, but we want, to, we want to start labeling those things, teaching them uh, accurate uh, words for what their body parts are. Um, and we want to do that in a way that's non-anxious and non-shaming. That lays the groundwork for them to recognize, oh, this is a, this is a part of life I can talk to mom and dad about. Yes. And then as they, as they get a little older, they'll have questions, and we can usually let our kids lead with that. They're, they're, at some point, they're going to ask, you know, where do babies come from? Um, and, and we should be prepared to have a, a, a good conversation. If you're, if you're a parent and you typically feel kind of, you know, put on the spot when your kids ask questions and you're, and you're not prepared, then it, it is okay to say, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked me. Let me get back to you on that. Right. But then you have to make sure that you do. Because you you don't want to you know you you don't want to leave and then and and what you're teaching your kid if you leave and don't come back is that my my parents don't want to talk to me about this. Yeah, that's a good point. And and you also lay out some of the ways to promote the path of true love to our kids, which I think is a great idea. There are some ways to do it that aren't so smart, and there are ways to do it that are smart. What would you recommend as far as cultivating chastity, for example, is one of the things that you mentioned that's important to do with our kids. What's a good way to do that, which is not overly legalistic or, or condemnatory? What, what do you recommend? 
Yeah, really, if I could rewind just a little bit, I think one of the most important things parents need to do, and this is hard work, is, is face a bit of their own story, their own sexual story. Because whatever, whatever you understand that you want to communicate to your kids, if a parent is carrying their own shame about things they were done to them in the past or things they did in the past or things they're wrestling with today, it's going to get in their way. It's going to cloud their, their view as they're talking with their kids. And so and we outline that in the book and really try to encourage parents uh, in one of the chapters of our book to really take a look at some of those things. It doesn't mean they need to get all that worked out before they talk to their kids. That's not likely. But just at least to be on that path, that's going to make them more agile and more non-anxious as they're talking to their kids. And so when it comes to the idea of chastity, I think a lot of us grew up with the, the kind of concept of you know what we knew about God's heart was we're supposed to wait until marriage to have sex. Right. And that's, I think a lot of people have really been disillusioned by that um, because uh, there were so many people who that was elevated so much for them. And those who did wait, we've heard so many stories from people who waited till marriage to have sex. And then sex was really, really difficult in their marriage or their spouse hadn't waited and that brought up issues. And so they kind of grew up with this idea of, I thought God was going to bless me. That's kind of what I learned growing up. What does that mean? And then so many other kids who have had sexual mistakes along the way. They've, they've either fallen into pornography or they've had sex outside of marriage or they fooled around sexually with somebody else. And we talk in the book about kids sitting through um, youth group sex ed lessons where they're kind of nodding on the outside, but on the inside, they're so filled with shame. So part of what we talk about in the book is how important it is for parents to set a vision for our kids that doesn't have limits. It's not in the rearview mirror for any kid. And so as we talk about things like chastity, instead of, instead of pure, purity, typically I think people thought of as either, you know, you're, you've, you've done it or you haven't. You've, mm-hmm. you're, you're pure or you're not. It's, 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 it's over or, or you're still in the game with that. But chastity is something that's a lifelong journey. Chastity is about self-mastery over your desires and your behaviors. Yep. And honestly, it's a journey that every parent is on too. And so we can invite our kids to, to grow in self-mastery. So if your kids already viewed pornography, well, they want to grow in self-mastery. If your kids never done anything sexual, well, they still want to grow in self-mastery. Um, if your kids had sex before marriage, well, they still want to grow in self-mastery. These are things that are going to benefit them for their whole lives. And that's, that's just one of the, the pieces we talk about in the book. It's a, it's a kind of having a bigger vision for our kids than, than just the, you know, the all in or all out, black or white kind of thinking about these things. Yeah, because even if the parents mean well and are teaching biblical truth about not having sex before you get married, the way you do it matters as well. And that has, in many instances with some Christians, uh, become a problem down the road and we don't want to go in that direction. You know, something that strikes me though, Josh, and I'm curious for your comments on this, this generation has often been described as being skeptical of marriage and family. They don't necessarily want to settle down and have kids, or if they do have kids. They don't want to have very many kids. It's interesting how the sexual revolution has kind of produced this attitude that sex is no big deal. You can have it outside of marriage. You can live with somebody before you're married and it doesn't matter if you actually have a piece of paper, this kind of thing. How much do you think pornography has to do with that mentality? Yeah, I mean, I think it has a great deal. And and maybe pornography in in a broader sense too, not just, you know, hardcore pornography, but just the pornographic messages in our culture I mean, I, there there was a day, and I'm, and I'm not. I don't tend to be one who's kind of a sentiment, sentiment uh, sentimentalist for kind of you know the the days gone by, so to speak. But I think God's heart for human beings is that uh, we would we would recognize the good and the glory of relationships, all relationships, and that we would esteem marriage in a in a unique way in a culture as a, as the place where two people commit their lives to one another for better or for worse. And that's the context in which kids can grow and flourish. Yeah. And so whether we were married or single, I think God's heart was 
that all people would recognize the, the sacredness of that place. Well, sex has really been gutted culturally of its procreative perspective. I mean, I think since the onset of legalized birth control, even yep. there's just a greater sense culturally that sex is not about children. It's not about producing children. It's purely an adult activity for adult pleasure. And I think that's, that's ultimately not, not that God is opposed to, to pleasure. He's not, he, he designed sex to be pleasurable. But I think that, that when we kind of swallow that as the whole pill about sex, then, then all of a sudden procreation becomes this, this thing needs to be protected against, just like STIs need to be pre- protected against. And you, can, and you can see if you're kind of, you know, why do, why do you use contraception? Well, just to protect yourself from, from a sexually transmitted infection and to protect yourself from children. Hmm. Already, I mean, you can kind of line those up and go, wait a minute, something's demonic about that. Yes. Something's not right about that. Those are very, very different things. Totally right about that. W- one of the things that you mentioned for parents who might discover their children have a pornography problem, they're visiting websites and whatnot, y- y- you talk about having a customized technology plan, which I think is tremendous. What are some of your tips for parents on dealing with online porn and protecting your kids from it? Yeah, a couple things. One, um, it, it's always valuable to use technology to help navigate to technology. And even, even people who work in technology are, are doing these kinds of things in their home. So, you know, filtering software is always helpful to have on your computer, some type of accountability software. So often the Internet becomes this place of, of privacy and secrecy. We really want to encourage parents to, to, to view uh, the Internet as just another place it's not, a, it's not a room you go to by yourself. It's a part of, the, of a whole, and we have relationships there, just like we have relationships everywhere. And so we don't keep secrets. We want to be in this with each other. Um, but even more than that, or al- aligned with that, is that there is no technology that's going to raise our kids for us. There's no technology that's going to, that's going to shepherd our kids' sexuality. There may be technology that helps. To, helps. Doesn't, it won't, it's nothing foolproof. It may help to keep our kids from some dangers that the Internet has on it. But primarily, we want to approach the internet as a place that we go with our kids. So the internet really is a doorway to the world. We don't send our kids into the literal world. We wouldn't say, yep, here's a here's a ticket to Africa. Have fun. <laughs> um, we, if we really want our kids to go to Africa, we would prepare them, we would get ready, and we would go with them or send them with a trusted guide. Um, and we would do that multiple times before we'd ever say, yep, you can go by yourself. So in the same way with the internet, we really want to walk with our kids and we want to start at whatever age the parent feels is appropriate. But we, I'd recommend earlier rather than later, they're growing up in a digital world. Let's walk with our kids progressively as they're, as they're doing this. And, and then as they grow in responsibility, as they grow and they demonstrate self-mastery and self-restraint, self-control, that they're using their relationships online well, um, then we, we can give them more and more responsibility so that when they leave the home, they're prepared to make their own decisions about how they navigate that part of the world. Very important. And when you're talking about treading boldly, I, I think that you're very right on about that. How do you encourage Christian parents to be bold about standing for Christ in a pornographic world? Mm, yeah, great, great question. It, it, is, it is difficult, but it is needful. One of the things that we really tried to do with the book is we, we try not to preach. My co-author and I, Daniel and I, we, we're both parents too. We have teenagers. Um, my oldest at this point is 17. My youngest is seven. We're in this too. And this is really, a, a, we have a call in the book for Christian parents to rise up, link arms with each other and support each other as we're navigating this, because we really are the first generation of parents to walk with kids in a digitally connected, pornography-saturated culture. And so 
it's it's we we want to we want to move into this digital world as as those who hold to the reality that Jesus has come because the one because the world is is something he created and he loves us and secondly because the world has been corrupted it's it's fallen and he wants to see it restored to his glorious design and and i think there's lots of room for creativity for relationship in this process as parents walk together with their kids and walk together with each other to really learn how do we evangelistically move through this digital world. Um, and it, it's in some ways, it's really exciting. It's, it's kind of like, you know, when, when, when the Roman Empire conquered so much of, of that part of the world, it opened up doorways for evangelism that actually the Apostle Paul leaned on. Yes, important point. Treading boldly through a pornographic world. Josh Glazer with us. Thank you so much, Josh. God bless you. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, before I summarize the horrendous events of the last several days, politically speaking, under the Biden administration and its disastrous response to what's been going on in Afghanistan, not only prematurely putting everything to a stop in Afghanistan, leaving Americans stranded and people are dying at the airport. But the response from the international community and indeed even the American media is so bad. But I want to start out with a passage of scripture, which I think is quite applicable. It's from Job 12. And I'm going to cherry pick some verses here, beginning in verse 17. Speaking of the power of God, he makes advisors walk barefoot and makes fools of judges. He undoes the binding of kings and ties a loincloth around their waist. He makes priests walk barefoot and overthrows the secure ones. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on nobles and loosens the belt of the strong. He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. He enlarges the nations, then leads them away. He deprives the leaders of the earth's people of intelligence and makes them wander in a pathless wasteland. They grope in darkness with no light and he makes them stagger like a drunken person. Isn't God brilliant? He is holy. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. But boy, sometimes you come across a passage of scripture and you think to yourself, it's as if the Lord gave us that word for right now. And I believe he really did. Among other time periods in history, of course. So let's sum up what went on over the last couple of days, uh, specifically yesterday and, and a couple days before that, going back into Friday. But let's see, we had Chuck Schumer and Stephen Colbert dancing in New York City because what a joyous time to get out there and dance as a hurricane is heading into New York and all of these horrendous political problems are 
rising to the surface for the Biden administration. We have the Taliban. It's a lead fighting unit imitating the iconic Marine flag raising at Iwo Jima and parading in the streets of Afghanistan with U.S. equipment. That was wonderful. We have Tony Blair, the former prime minister of the U.K., referring to Biden as an imbecile. That was a wonderful moment. You also had the German chancellor candidate Armin Laschet say this is the biggest debacle that NATO has seen since its foundation. But just carry on, Chuck Schumer and Stephen Colbert. There's a lot to enjoy out there. Just, you know, do some Macarena in the streets as we have Kamala Harris fleeing the continent. It's absolutely incredible. Is this not staggering around like a drunken person, wandering in a pathless wasteland, groping in darkness with no light? This is from the Lord, folks. And as I have been emphasizing for quite a long time, it is the inevitable result of people who have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, and God has given us over. He gave us over to sexual immorality. He gave us over to homosexual immorality. Now he's made us insane, crazy, off our rockers, and we are a disgrace before the entire world. And as an American, I'm disgusted. I'm angry. I feel every emotion that a patriotic American would feel. But on another level, I look at this and think, we had it coming. We really have had it coming. And you look at all the people, even in the evangelical world, who were way more enthusiastic about Joe Biden than they ever were about Donald Trump. Oh, Donald Trump's horrible. Oh, he said some terrible things. Oh, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Well, let's go back to some of the audio from yesterday's Fox News Sunday broadcast with Chris Wallace. He had on with him Secretary of State Antony Blinken talking about Biden's lies and asking if Biden even knows what's going on. Listen to this. This is cut one. Here's another statement that the president made that was flat wrong. Take a look. I have seen no question of our credibility from our allies around the world. I've got the exact opposite thing is we're acting with dispatch. We're acting, committing to what we said we would do. But Armin Laschet, the likely successor to German Chancellor Merkel, said this is the biggest debacle that NATO has seen since its foundation. And here is the chairman of the British Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee. To see their commander-in-chief call into question the courage of men I fought with, to claim that they ran, it's shameful. Those who have never fought for the colors they fly should be careful about criticizing those who have. Mr. Secretary, does the president not know what's going on? This is an incredibly emotional time uh, for for many of us, uh, and including allies and partners who've been shoulder to shoulder with us in Afghanistan for 20 years. Uh, at high cost to themselves, as well as to us. They stood with us after 9-11, invoked Article 5 of NATO for the first time. An attack on one is an attack on all. And we've been there together. But I've got to tell you this, Chris. From the get-go, I spent more time with our NATO partners in Brussels, virtually, uh, from before the president made his decision, to when he made his decision, to every time since. We've been working very, very closely together. We've gotten the G7 together, NATO together, the UN Security Council together. We had 113 countries, thanks to our diplomacy, uh, put out a a clear understanding uh, of the Taliban's requirements to let people leave the country. Sir, respectfully, look, I'm not not questioning whether or not the allies have a right to complain. I'm not questioning whether or not al-Qaeda has a presence. The president said al-Qaeda Al-Qaeda is gone. It's not gone. The president said he's not heard any criticism from the allies. There's been a lot of criticism from the allies. Words matter, and the words of the president matter most. 
Isn't it interesting how he didn't answer the question? This often happens when awkward questions are posed during media interviews. But the question on the table was, does Biden know what's going on? And Blinken says, oh, the international community of NATO is, oh, we made phone calls. Everything's great. It's emotional time for everyone. An emotional time for everyone. We're the laughing stock. Actually, we're not the laughing stock. We may be the laughing stock of the Taliban, but we're just a disgrace to the rest of the free world. What's left of it. And why isn't he being drummed out of office? Why isn't Joe Biden being drummed out of office? His own cabinet, his own military leaders can't even say straight out, he's not all there. It's not time for them to admit to that. Now, let's listen to this exchange. I'm going to have to break it up a little bit over the break, but let me go to the first cut here because there was a reporter at yesterday's press conference asking Joe Biden about public response to this entire crisis and the rightfully given criticism over handling this withdrawal and the the, the horror that really has unfolded because of Biden's decision. Listen to Biden's response. Here's how it went. Cut to. Question on the public response. A new poll out today shows... Americans wanted to withdraw from Afghanistan, but they disapprove of the way you've handled it. Poll also found that based in part on what's transpired in the last week, a majority of Americans, and forgive me, I'm just the messenger, no longer consider you to be competent, focused, or effective in the job. I haven't seen that poll. It's out there um, from CBS this morning. Um, (laughs) What would you say to those Americans who no longer believe that you're up to the job? I had a basic decision to make. I either withdraw America from a 20-year war that, depending on whose analysis you accept, cost us $150 million a day for 20 years or $300 million a day for 20 years, who, and I, you know I carry this card to me every day, and who, in fact, uh, where we lost 2,448 Americans dead and 20,722 wounded. Either increase the number of forces we keep, we keep there and keep that going, or I end the war. And I decided to end the war. All right, and Biden continued. Listen to this, cut three. I, uh, I think when this is over, the American people have a clear understanding of what I did, why we did it, and, uh, but look, that's the job. My job is to make judgments. My job is to make judgments no one else can or will make. I made them. I'm convinced I'm absolutely correct in not deciding to send more young women and men to war for a war that, in fact, is no longer warned. Unbelievable. Not a shred of humility, not a shred of contrition, not a shred of being all there either. I mean, he's asked, what do you say to the American people who believe that you don't really have the capacity to serve as the commander in chief? And he just giggles. Is that what it's been reduced to? The presidency of the United States is reduced to a man like this doing what he's done and then laughing about it in the face of the public opinion about it? It's disgraceful. Yes, people have died. And for what? Look how it's ended. Listen to some of these military veterans talking about what a disgrace it is. They're right, by the way. We'll be coming back. Stay with us.
Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her. Most of the time in her heart, she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Let's see. Secretary of State Antony Blinken won't dispute that America has to ask the Taliban for permission to evacuate Americans as he admits they are in control of Kabul. That is the reality. That's a quote. This is via a Daily Mail headline. And also we had Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin via Fox News say yesterday that intelligence assessments on the U.S. military withdrawal from Afghanistan predicted the Taliban could retake the country in a matter of months, appearing to contradict President Biden's reassurances last month that a Taliban takeover was not inevitable. Oops. It's like the Keystone cops bumping into each other. And these people are in charge of the world's greatest superpower. It's just incredible. How can we not see this as judgment? How can we not see this as God confounding the nations? It's just extraordinary what we're living through. I want to finish up some of this audio, though, that I was playing for you before we went to the break. A reporter yesterday at the press conference asked President Biden, what do you think of this CBS This Morning poll that says Americans think you've done a terrible job handling the withdrawal from Afghanistan? Biden giggles. Oh, yeah, people will come around to my way of thinking. The same reporter then pressed him about whether or not we can trust the Taliban to get Americans out. This is cut four. On the question of the Taliban, though, do you are they do you trust them now that you have to negotiate with them? I don't trust anybody, including you. I love you. But, you know, there's not a lot of people I trust uh, to look. The Taliban has a. Uh, Taliban has to make a fundamental decision. Is the Taliban going to attempt to. Be able to unite and provide for the well-being of the people of Afghanistan, which no one group has ever done since before, for hundreds of years. 
And if it does, it's going to need everything from additional help in terms of economic assistance, trade, and a whole range of things. The Taliban has said, we'll see whether they mean it or not. They're seeking legitimacy. They're seeking legitimacy to determine whether or not they will be recognized by other countries. Unbelievable. Yeah, they're seeking legitimacy as they go house to house and rape young girls and round people up and execute them and behead them and do everything else that terrorists do. But boy, they're sure wanting to have some legitimacy and they want the international community to respect them. It's crazy. And did you note at the beginning of that quote, what he actually said to that reporter in not so many words was, oh, I don't know if I trust the Taliban, but I don't trust you either. Okay, the reporter's the Taliban now. He's akin to the Taliban. It's a way of just dodging responsibility. It's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. It's really the most absurd thing I've ever heard in a political context. Somebody talking about the Taliban maybe having some legitimacy at some point if they go along with the international community. And speaking of which, back on August 6th, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, at the beginning of the Taliban's offense, spoke about the international community. Let's go back and listen to that. That's cut five. If the Taliban, our view is that if the Taliban claim to want international legitimacy, these actions are not going to get them the legitimacy they seek. Uh, They do not have to stay on this trajectory. They could choose to devote the same energy to the peace process as they are to their military campaign. We strongly urge them to do so. This is what the Afghan people so urgently need, deserve uh, after decades of war, and is very much in Afghanistan's neighbor's interest to invest renewed energy into a peace process that promotes a peaceful Afghanistan and state region. Well, that worked out well. You know, the Taliban can stay the course on mounting an offensive in Afghanistan and trying to consolidate its power, but, you know, they're going to have to consider whether or not they want to play ball with the rest of the international community. I don't think they care, Jen. I don't think they care. In fact, I know they don't care. They're terrorists. And by the way, what of the fact that we have al-Qaeda in, what is it, about 15 provinces of Afghanistan? And when Blinken was asked about that, his response was, well, they don't have nearly the kind of capability to launch a 9-11 that they did 20 years ago. Oh, that's reassuring. Terrific. Crazy is what it is. Now, I I find this kind of interesting, though. I was reflecting back on the fact that good old Christianity Today in December of 2019 came out with an article that was heard around the world. The mainstream media absolutely loved it. Remember the headline, Trump should be removed from office? You remember that? And they were just so high-minded and virtuous that they just had to call upon the president of the United States to step down. And it was because, oh, why was it? Why was it that they wanted him to step down? Because of his character. His character. They said at the time the president of the United States attempted to use his political power to coerce a foreign leader to harass and discredit one of the president's political opponents. It's a flat out lie. It wasn't true at all. And the transcript that was released of his phone call with the Ukrainian uh, president was it completely exonerated him. Oh, but he has terrible character. Hey, Christianity Today, when are you going to come out with your piece saying that Joe Biden should step down? When are you going to do that? Oh, you're too busy writing about refugees because refugees are all that matter to the evangelical left. Why? Because they have friends at World Relief and they make tons of money as a federal contractor and they have all their friends on the evangelical left doing their cheerleading. You also have these kinds of efforts in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is still headed up by an unrepentant plagiarist. Just keep all of this in mind when you're considering Job 12 and the application of Job 12 to our current situation. 
And Biden now promised the U.S. would welcome Afghan allies escaping the Taliban only after they've been screened and cleared at military bases. Oh, good luck. Good luck with that. That's terrific. Look at Western Europe and its history several years ago with taking in Afghan refugees and the spiked number of rapes that took place against young girls in Western Europe, getting even Western European nations like Austria to respond strongly to try to shut the whole thing down because there was so much sexual violence against young girls, mostly from Afghan refugees. You can read all about that. Here's something interesting, though. Buried on a Friday, which is when it's the best to bury news that the liberals don't like, the FBI via Reuters has found scant evidence that the January 6th attack on the Capitol was the result of an organized plot to overturn the presidential election result. This is from four current and former law enforcement officials. You don't say. Though federal officials have arrested more than 570 alleged participants, the FBI at this point believes the violence was not centrally coordinated by far-right groups or prominent supporters of Trump, according to the sources. 90 to 95 percent of those are one-off cases, said a former senior law enforcement official with knowledge of the investigation. And then you have 5 percent, maybe, of these militia groups that were more closely organized. There was no plot to go into the Capitol building and wreak havoc or have an insurrection or have a riot. None. There was none. And beyond that, they even found further evidence that actually no evidence, I want to say it the the right way, but having to do with President Trump. And there was just nothing that they found on Trump or the people close to him that was involved in planning this thing at all. But where are all the people who are screaming and yelling about Trump and screaming and yelling about an insurrection for the last, what is it, eight months? Where are they now? Where are they now going? Oops, we were wrong. Oops, oops, we were wrong. There was no insurrection. There was no riot. You want to talk about a riot? Why don't you look at the Kabul airport right now? Why don't you look at what happened when those men jumped on the side of that airplane that's become an iconic image of the complete catastrophe that is the Afghanistan withdrawal. And you had that footage of a young man with his legs dangling out of the landing gear area, flapping in the wind because he was dead. I mean, I agree with Elise Stefanik, who put out on Twitter, this is the Biden administration's fault. This is the legacy of Joe Biden, I believe is the way she put it. And how in the world can you disagree with that? You can't. You can't disagree with it. But let's talk about Trump again. And, and it was interesting to see what President Trump had to say to that big crowd in Alabama over the weekend talking about the disaster of the Biden presidency. I say keep it up. I say keep it up. I don't necessarily want Trump to run again. I think he's getting too old and I think he ought to make way for somebody like DeSantis or someone who's younger and, and doesn't have all of the stuff that went on for the last four years clinging to him, but can come into office. He should be the kingmaker. He should, you know, hail whoever's going to come in as the next candidate for the GOP. But boy, I'll tell you what, the left is really embarrassed about this. And what are they going to put Kamala in? There's no way. We've talked about that before. There's no way. They don't want to lose the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. They know they can't get a majority vote as required by the Constitution in the Senate because there aren't enough Democrats in the Senate to be able to get a majority to, you know, come on board and say, yes, her pick for VP is going to be approved. It's not going to happen. What will happen? Will we see some people stepping down, some of these senior officials or some of the cabinet members? I have no idea. But the left has a way of hanging on to power, even when it's completely inappropriate, because the corruption is just 
that deep. It's disgraceful. And what needs to happen is the American people need to put pressure on these people. We need competence. We need people who are good leaders, who will do the right thing by our troops, who will do the right thing by the United States of America. But I'll tell you what, I think that phrase, make America great again, isn't so bad, is it? Not after all. But I'll tell you, it's going to require some massive repentance in this country if we're going to see the hand of blessing from God ever again. Let's pray toward that end. We've got to leave it there. Thank you for tuning in. We always appreciate your listening. Hope you'll do so next time. God bless. Mm -hmm.